Well, tonight I want to talk about how to find joy in your struggles. Becky and I have been watching for some time now a, a British television show that is about, it's called Fake or Fortune. And it's about discovering real, genuine, very valuable paintings and sculptures, and also the process of how they go through to discover whether it's a fake or not. Actually, this has taught me a lot, but it's increased my desire to understand more about the artist who painted the pictures that she's taught me to look at and appreciate over the years. One of them, which is one of her favorites, is Auguste Renoir. One of the things reading about Renoir's life is he was becoming crippled by arthritis as he grew older, and he would have to hold the paintbrush between the tip of his thumb and the tip of his index finger to be able to paint. And his students talk about hearing him gasp in pain, cry out in pain while he was painting. Matisse, Henri Matisse, was a very good friend of, of Renoir's, but he was 28 years younger than Renoir was. And so one day, Matisse was watching Renoir paint, and he asked him, he says, Auguste, why do you continue to paint when it causes you so much pain? And Renoir said these words to him, Henri, after the pain, the beauty remains. Say that with me. After the pain, the beauty remains. I wonder if Jesus thought something like that after Calvary, after the crucifixion. Because here we are tonight, and others are gathering around the world to worship the Lord. There's a church that circles the globe. There are those that are in heaven tonight, like my father, some of your friends, your fathers, your mothers that are in heaven tonight because of what Christ did for us at Calvary. I wonder if a mother thinks that after giving birth to a child, after the pain the beauty remains. And I think so many times we forget that God is not only large, God is in charge, and He's watching over us, and He's accomplishing something inside of us as we move forward. And last week, as Pastor Mike was speaking, and we've kind of put the, the gospel of Mark in oil until after Labor Day, I just kind of was thinking, and just that was such a great message last week, how many people are watching tonight? How many people are watching later in the week? Or maybe you're in this room this evening. Uh, there are hundreds of people who watch, sometimes over a thousand people who watch these midweek services and these messages. How many are going through, or maybe you're going through a very painful time? And here's my question. Can you trust God to bring beauty out of your pain? Can you trust God that after this painful time that you're going through, that the beauty will remain? And that is just such a powerful question. And as Keith read the psalm tonight, I'm so grateful that he told you that this was not a poem. This was a prayer. This is coming right out of David's heart as he's seeking the Lord. Just a few things about struggles. Struggles are common to every single human being. We all have struggles. But what's not common is how we face those struggles. Do we come through our struggles better? Do we come through our struggles with joy? Do we come through our struggles and go, the beauty remains? Or do we come through our struggles and they send us into a dark place that we find it very difficult to get out of or to climb out of? And what I hope to leave you with tonight is some skills for your struggles, some skills that when you're stuck, it will help you to get 
unstuck, and I don't even know if that's a real word, but unstuck, if, that if you have a need that you know that God is there and he delights in meeting your need. I posted this morning how that God loves to do the impossible for our lives, but it all depends on where we look. And later this after that earlier this afternoon, I called my wife and was just kind of catching up with her. I call her every day just to tell her I love her and to catch up with her. And and I said, you know, I, I was reading in my devotions this morning where Jesus said to the, the rich young ruler to leave everything and follow me if you want eternal life. And the young man turned away and, follow, and, and went after his wealth rather than follow after Jesus. Jesus wasn't bitter at him. Jesus wasn't angry at him. The Bible tells us that Jesus loved him. But that young man lost out because he put his trust in wealth. And so the disciples looked at Jesus, and they said, Lord, who can be saved if this young man who's done so many good things, but yet he's trusting his wealth, who can be saved? And Jesus gave us that famous statement that with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I just kind of journaled this morning that within a few years, that young man discovered when Rome burnt Jerusalem to the ground, how fickle and how insecure the things of this world really are when his wealth was gone. But Jesus and his people remain forever. Can you say amen? And so tonight I want to give you some skills because when you have a need or when you are facing a struggle or when you're facing a conflict, if you have these skills that I want to share with you tonight, if you have those, then you will find that there's room in your heart for peace. You will find there's room in your heart for healing. You will find there's room in your heart for wholeness and recovery. You will find that there's room in your heart for joy. And you will find that suddenly there's room in your heart to help other people because you have grown. So the first question I'd ask us tonight is, are you able to name the struggles that you're going through? Are you able to name them? David cries out in Psalms 86.1 that Keith read to you. He says, I need your help. But just a few verses later in verse 14, David names the struggle. He names the problem that he's facing. He says, oh God, insolent people rise up against me. A violent gang is trying to kill me. You mean nothing to them. And I dare say that as struggles are common to all of us, that there have been times in our life, there have been arrogant people. There have been demanding people. There have been people who have gossiped or lied about us. There have been times in our lives when we've had to work with uncooperative people. I remember when one of the men in our congregation came to me and says, Pastor, I, I've been given a job of leadership in my company, but I, I think I'm going to give it up. And I said, why? He says, before I was made a leader, he said I was everybody's friend. Now it seems like I'm all of my old friends' enemies. They don't want to cooperate. And I said, well, don't give up your position of leadership. God is putting you through his school of struggles. He's putting you through your school so that you learn how to lead and not run away from the challenges. And I wish I could tell you more about it tonight. He's actually talked to us years ago about it as a testimony, one of the Sunday morning messages. But God made him a leader because of that. You know, St. Jerome said to Augustine in a letter, he said to him, it is a sign of youthful arrogance to build up a reputation by assailing prominent figures. It's a sign of youthful arrogance to try to build up your reputation by assailing prominent figures. 
And how many times have maybe we've been guilty of that when we were younger? Now that we're older, are there those that come along behind us that we have to be patient with them because we remember what we were like? David goes on to pray in Psalms 86. He says, look down, have mercy on me, give strength to your servant, save me, the son of your servant. I remember a few years ago when my son said at the dinner table to his sons, he goes, you know, I know dad's sitting here, talking about me, papa sitting here, and he says, I know he's going to enjoy hearing this, but I want to tell you, there have been a lot of times where I wish later in life I would have listened to my dad rather than argue with him. Friends, I felt like the bell had been rung and I could go to heaven right then. Because it's the sign of youth to try to assail their parents' wisdom, to decide to assail the, the wisdom of their elders or their experiences. But eventually, if we will love people the way Jesus loved that rich young ruler, then we'll find all things are possible with God. I think that one of the things that we're dealing with today, and Becky and I were recently talking about this, modern life has become so stressful. And I, I hear people telling me today, I had someone tell me this week over lunch that I had lunch with, says, I refuse to watch the news anymore. Well, I'm not in a position where I can do that. I, somebody's nodding their head here tonight. He says, I just refuse to watch the news anymore. And, and when you think about what we're assailed with, when my grandparents were alive, they didn't know what was going on in Africa. They didn't know what was going on in the Middle East. They didn't get instant news. And when it finally got to them, it was in a newspaper, maybe a month or two months later when they finally got that news. But we're daily being bombarded with mass shootings, with school shootings. We're daily being bombarded with protests and political chaos, even in our own country. Yesterday, and don't feel sorry for me, I love this, but yesterday I had 152 text messages and phone calls to respond to. Obviously, I didn't get through all of them. I'm still trying to get through some of them. Modern life is stressful. Can you say amen to that? Modern life is stressful. There's wokeism. There's marital conflicts. We're living in a time where the struggles that we face, they attack us violently in our soul. They attack us violently in our vision. They attack us violently in our dreams if we're not careful. So the second question is, is where do you go for comfort? Where do you go for comfort? David went to God, and he went to God, notice this, in prayer. You know, I, I want to just ask you the question, where do you go for comfort? Here's what some people have told me. I go to Facebook, and I scroll through because I want to see what my friends say. I want to see how many likes I've got on my page. I, I, some people tell me I go shopping because shopping really, it's a tension reliever for me. I feel like when I go into a store, I'm in a battle zone, okay? And I feel that. And so some people, they like to shop. Some people, they like uh, to go to sporting events. Some people turn to alcohol. Some people turn to sex. But what's happening in, in the midst of these struggles, what we don't realize and what David is saying, those violent people that were attacking him and whatever the struggle you're facing it's trying to rip a hole in your soul. It's trying to excavate a place in your life and to fill it not with the light of God's love and His peace and His truth, but to fill it with the conflict of this world. 
One of the other places that I find comfort, not only in prayer, but I find comfort in meetings like this. I find comfort in Sunday morning church. When we're on vacation, you don't know this, unless I've told you before, but I try to work in three or four churches on a Sunday morning. I, I get up and find the earliest services I can find, and then I'll come back and get the family, take them to one service, because unlike me, they don't need as much. You know, one service is fine for us, Dad. But I, I enjoy going. I enjoy being with God's people. I enjoy hearing the Word preached. I enjoy singing the songs of worship and praying and giving. The Sunday paper never gives that to me. Football, as much as I love football, and it's almost time, it doesn't give that to me. Sometimes, though, the word of the Lord, and I think one of the reasons I love going to so many churches on a Sunday morning on vacation is, is I get to experience another church, I get to experience another pastor's message, and even sometimes when I'm preparing the message, can, can I be very honest? Sometimes the word of God rips a hole right into my own heart rips a hole in that facade. Remember I talked to you about the violence of the world? But the Holy Spirit will say, this is where you're trying to fill your life with something that only I can satisfy. Religion can't fill it. Christian music can't fill it. Christian books can't fill it. I, I love detective stories. I love spy novels. They can't fill it. Only Jesus can fill that hole in your soul. And he comes to us in his word and he pours out, the Holy Spirit pours out God's love and we find ourselves healing. That's why in Psalms 86, the Bible says, David prayed, teach me your ways, O Lord. What's he want? He wants the word. He wants God to pour in the word of the Lord that I may live. Now, he doesn't just want to grow in knowledge and grow in wisdom, but he says, that I may live according to your truth. In other words, he wants to move forward. He wants action in his life. I may live according to your truth. And notice his prayer, grant me purity of heart. What a powerful prayer. Can we say that together? Grant me purity of heart. Why? So that I may honor you that my motives are pure, my motives in preaching, my motives in loving my wife and my family, loving our community, that I may, may honor him. So here's the question. Is the struggle that you're going through tonight or that you've been through or that maybe you will face, is it going to break you or is it going to send you into a place of dark despair? And sometimes you have to do some personal introspection on that. You have to search your heart. You have to search your life. I was talking to a friend of mine earlier this week who called me, and we, we just spent a few moments while I was out for a walk in the evening talking, and sometimes you just have to get before the Lord because the struggle, look at me, the struggles that God gives you, they're not meant to send you to a dark place. You may go through a dark valley, but they're meant to make you into the person that God has created you to be. So here's the next question. Is this going to make me the person God wants me to be? And a lot of that depends on the skills that you develop. So the first skill, when I'm struggling, I will keep my eyes on the Lord. I will keep my eyes on the Lord. Most of us in here, a couple of us may not be old enough but most of us will remember Apollo 16. Remember how that they had to turn around and come back to earth. They had to shut off the computers. 
And to do that, they also had to do a burn of 39 seconds. If you've never watched that movie, it is so exciting. But the astronauts decided, Captain Lovell decided, we've got to have a fixed point because in this burning off of this fuel, we could go off track and, to borrow a movie title, we could be lost in space. And so they decided that they could look out through that tiny little window in the capsule and they made Earth their fixed point. And so for 39 seconds, they were offline. For 39 seconds, they burned the fuel, but they kept their eyes upon the earth. And by doing so, they were able to safely land and come back to earth with the help of Houston. The scriptures constantly remind us, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. I bet you remember this one right now while I'm talking, where the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's how I know Paul was a Southern, because we fix everything, you know. We fix dinner. We fix the bed. You know, you just fix your eyes upon Jesus. Now, let's transition, because if you notice in your message, we're looking at Psalms 86, but we're also looking at how Paul did this in Philippians 1. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, and verse 12, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. By keeping his eyes on Jesus, Paul kept the big picture in mind. By going to God in prayer, David kept the big picture in mind. Both men knew that God was working out a plan for their lives. Both men refused to run from the opportunity that God had given them, even though they were dealing with some Violent people, some arrogant people, some demanding people, some demeaning people, people that were lying about both of them. And for Paul, it was the good news of Jesus Christ that really mattered. That's what he's saying in this verse. For David, it was the kingdom that he knew and the plan that God had for Israel. So Paul is in this demeaning situation where people are taking advantage of his being in jail now, this is a man that has preached for four thousands. This is a man now that Nero has in prison. He's chained to the Praetorian Guard. It's demoralizing. It's demeaning. But he says, while he's doing this, that the good news of Jesus is still being preached. Some of Nero's family heard the good news, and they must have believed. The Praetorian Guard was hearing the good news. And the New Testament, parts of the New Testament were being written, and Nero was having to pay for it. So think about that. Paul kept the big picture in mind. But the Bible also says the church was encouraging. So let me just encourage you to write down a few questions right now. If you need to learn to see your struggle from the, from the big picture, from what God is doing in your life, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, ask yourself, what is God doing in my life right now? You don't have to have a mystical voice from heaven, but as you read your Bible and pray, what is that bigger picture? What is that big picture in your life? And what is the big perspective that you live with in life? So many times at people's deathbeds or in hospital rooms or after divorce or what have you, I've had to sit down with people and say, okay, let's, we've grieved, we've gone a year or two here and you're, you're, you're in danger of going to start place. What's God doing? What's God saying? Sometimes they say, I just don't know. I say, okay, what's the big picture? What's the perspective you want to live with? 
And as we walk through that process, once again, they capture a vision. They capture the vision they had before their wife died or their husband died or their child died. They capture the vision they had before they lost their job or before cancer hit them. You have to regain and remember what that perspective and that vision is in your life because it will bring you to this question, what am I living for? What am I living for? And my response is this, simply, if you ask me, I want to be a witness to my unbelieving friends. I want them to see Jesus in me, and I want them to see me in the good times and in the tough times. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 13, for everyone here knows, excuse me, for everyone here including the whole palace guard knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. But I also want my response to be encouraging to other believers, to you, to other people that I know. Years and years ago, boy, that sounds so long, but it was, it was years and years ago. I was the state youth director for the state of Georgia for the Assemblies of God. And I remember one morning I was, I had a study in our home there downstairs and I was walking out of my study that Becky had, had fixed for me. And and suddenly I was just hit with the awesomeness of the responsibility of conventions I had spoken at across the country, places I'd spoken at uh, in, in other nations, and all of these young people in Georgia, young pastors that I had mentored. And I found myself dropping to my knees. I couldn't leave my study. And I found myself just saying, Lord, please, please don't ever let me fail you. I would rather you take my life then let me fail my wife, fail my children, fail my family, or fail the body of Christ. I would rather you take me home than that happen. Because every struggle, every trial we go through, it can be an encouragement to others. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 1.14. But it depends on your perspective. Because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to be chained to a Praetorian guard. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to lose a child or anything like that. But Paul keeps the bigger picture in mind. Because of most of the believers have gained confidence. And look at this. What my prayer is for every one of you. They boldly speak the message, the gospel they boldly tell about Jesus without fear. So the next question I would ask is, how does God want to use your struggles? How does God want to use the conflicts that you are going through? A couple of more things here, and then we'll wrap this up. It's important, it's important that you trust God with people who love you. Trust God with people who love you. And because of time, let me just dive right into this. It is true, Paul's saying, it is true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. Boy, can you, can you imagine somebody trying to take advantage and just begin preaching just because they were jealous of, of the influence that Paul had been given by God? He said, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me. My prayer is you will, you will share your faith because you love Jesus, but I pray you'll also do it because you love me and trust me as your pastor to tell you that's a very good thing. That's why God gives us his Holy Spirit. 
for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my change more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Then in verse 28, he says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. Now, when he says don't be intimidated, it doesn't mean you've got to become arrogant yourself. It doesn't mean you've got to become imperious yourself. It doesn't mean you've got to treat them the way they've treated you, but stay loving, stay kind. Stay filled with good works, even in the midst of your struggles. Stay focused on Christ. Just compare, just compare these character traits, and you can go back and circle these later in your outline. There was jealousy, but there was pure motives. There was selfish ambitions, but there was love. There was pretense, but there was still the truth of the gospel. Never, I'm just skipping down a little bit here, never let a critic steal your joy. Paul refused to allow the critics to take away his joy. You're always going to have critics. If you're doing something for Jesus, you're always going to have critics. And then finally tonight, joy's secret during a struggle is this. Joy's secret during a struggle. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Notice this. He's rejoicing because he's confident that people are praying for him daily. He's confident that the Holy Spirit is going to help him. For I fully expect and hope I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past. And I came up the stairs from my study. I was getting ready to leave town. I told Becky about the experience that I had downstairs. And our boys were small at that time. Amy hadn't even come into our life yet, but we were just standing there and we prayed together before I got on my flight. They caught a flight out of Atlanta. Friends, listen, God will give you the confidence that you fully expect to succeed in Christ. I expect to finish this race triumphantly. I expect to finish this race boldly. And I trust, look at it, I trust my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or whether I die. Paul wasn't afraid of dying because in verse 21 he says, for me, living, excuse me, for, to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Well, let's take a real close work at our growth work and then we're going to pray this evening. Can I just give you an observation as a pastor? And you may hear me saying this more as, as I get older and more as we continue to go along here. But I'm writing down things that I've learned. Matter of fact, I'm writing down a couple of sermons that um, I'm just going to call lessons that I've learned. One of the lessons I've learned is people who haven't experienced pain and people who haven't experienced struggle, there's something different about their prayers. There's something about their prayers that doesn't have the same pathos, doesn't have the same urgency, and I don't mean this wrong, but it doesn't even seem to possess the same power and anointing that people who have walked through the fiery deserts, people who have walked through the valley of darkness, people who have struggled 
you sense that when they pray, there's a bold confidence that God is going to pull you through. People that haven't suffered pain, I find there's not only rarely much power in their prayer, but I find out they're not really much help in ministry. They're willing to give their money. They're willing to show up for a service. But people who have had pain in their lives, they're willing to volunteer. They're willing to serve. They're willing to listen to others and get involved because they themselves have suffered and hurt. People who have experienced pain aren't as quick to criticize others because they remember the dark places, the tough times, maybe even the times when they had to pray for their next meal or maybe wait a day or two on their next meal because there's something about the pain that we go through. I don't believe that we should seek out pain, but I do believe a thousand times more over, 10,000 times over, there's something about our struggles that join us in the fellowship of Christ and His sufferings for us at Calvary. Remember how Paul says, I complete in my body the sufferings of Christ? He's not saying that he was finishing our salvation. Our salvation was done. But he's saying, because I have suffered, I have joined with Christ. God never, ever waste our pain. Can you say amen to that? Never waste it. So, let me give you four things real quickly. Number one, have God's perspective. Number two, have people praying for you. Don't go it alone. Number three, recognize the Holy Spirit is helping you. And finally, remember that God will work in all things, including struggles, for your good and for His glory. Amen? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for this message. Lord, I thank you for the message last week, Lord, that you, you spoke to our hearts as well. This is a possible mission, Lord. We are going to succeed in Christ. For it's in your name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, you want to join me this Sunday morning? We're going to have a wonderful day at Woodland. I'm so excited about the message. But you also want to be right back here Wednesday night because Keith is going to be preaching about stress, and boy, has he got a message that he is ready to share. I hear his wife laughing over to the left, so he knows a little bit about the subject. God bless you. Good night. Have a great evening.